0: Well, amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, as we on this 4th of July, on this Independence Day, as we prepare our hearts to receive a message from God, I I know this, it is the day that we as Americans celebrate that that great, great day in history where we were freed from the tyranny of Great Britain in 1776 as The forefathers of our country joined together in signing the Declaration of Independence. What a great day that was. But I want you to understand this today, and this is not to be anti-American in any way. I am thankful for the country that God has allowed me to live in and to grow up in. Um, It is only by His grace I know that I was chosen to live in this country. But I want us to focus on a greater freedom this morning, not the freedom that occurred in 1776, but a freedom that occurred in 33 A.D. And I want to talk about that this morning as believers, and I want us to celebrate on this Independence Day of our nation to celebrate the independence and the freedom that we have been given in Christ. In 33 A.D., we know this, that Jesus, the Son of the living God, the Word made flesh who dwelt among us, obediently went to His death, on a cross and he went to his death on a cross to bring freedom to all those who would believe. Through his death, his burial and his resurrection, we have received freedom in Christ Jesus. And and this is not the temporal freedom that we have in America. Did you know even our freedom in America could cease to exist this moment? An invading nation could overtake us and overpower us and our freedom would be washed away in a moment. However, that would do nothing to the eternal freedom that Jesus Christ has given us through His cross. And that's what I want to do today. I want us to celebrate the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. I know this. Many of you have decorated your homes with red, white, and blue. Many of you have have plans this afternoon to go barbecue and to to maybe uh, watch a fireworks display or to enjoy a cold watermelon. Spend time together. We we do all those things in celebration of the 4th of July. But today on this 4th of July here in this body of believers, I want us to celebrate the independence and the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. That freedom from sin. That freedom from the tyranny, not the tyranny of Great Britain, but the tyranny of our greatest enemy ever. And our greatest enemy ever is the tyranny of sin. Those of you who have been redeemed through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you have cause this morning to celebrate the fact that you have been set free. This freedom, it does not come from our fighting. As our freedom during the Revolutionary War came, but our freedom comes from what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. That's why we're here today. I know many churches today are dropping the old red, white, and blue. They're singing patriotic songs. We're not going to worry about the red, white, and blue. Today we're going to focus on the red. That is the red blood of Jesus Christ that was shed to give us ultimate freedom. Eternal freedom. Freedom from our greatest enemy. Freedom from our sin. Freedom from ourselves. So as we look at Romans chapter 6, Paul is going to talk about this He's going to actually talk about the freedom that we have. He's going to remind us of the bondage that we have been set free from. And it is in seeing the bondage that we have been set free from that we ought to loudly rejoice and proclaim all glory to God for the freedom that we have received from the past bondage that we endured. Romans chapter 6. We'll start at verse 14 today and we'll end in verse 23. Let's read it together. It says this in verse 14. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. He starts with this because he wants us to understand in the context of all this that we were held captive by our sin, that we were enslaved by our sin. Sin was our master. Those of us who are in Christ now, at one point in time, sin mastered you. Those of you who are not in Christ, I'll go ahead and tell you this and cut to the chase. You're still mastered by sin and you must be delivered through Christ or you will continue to be mastered by sin, not only in this life, but for all eternity you will suffer the consequences of this mastery. Verse 15 says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Shall we sin just because Jesus has delivered us from sin? He says, by no means, absolutely not, God forbid. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey Him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Please underline that in your Bible in case you're wondering who do I really obey? Whoever you're slave to. If you're slave to sin, you still are under enslavement to sin. You obey Christ, you have been set free to bring God glory through the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to you. It's that simple. Paul's going to even simplify it more in a second. He goes on, he says, whether you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin. Please underline that. We're going to come back and talk a lot about that, the word used to. You used to be slaves to sin. You wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as I used to offer the the parts of, just as you, excuse me, used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. We're going to talk about what all this means in just a second. Verse 20 says, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. He said you couldn't be righteous even if you wanted to, you were enslaved by sin. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin, he's talking to the believers. Believers, listen to me. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. Verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Boy, wouldn't we be in trouble if that verse ended there. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in. I want you to underline that word in. Because there are many of you who are dancing all around Christ, but you're not in Christ. He says, in Christ. And so we know this. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is simply saying this. If you are not in Christ, you're still bound by sin. You're still bound by death. Pretty simple. I'm I'm thankful that he keeps it simple for a guy like me. He says you're still bound by sin and by death, but if you are in Christ, You have eternal life because you are in Christ. So I want to look at this today and I want us to celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ as believers. I want us to see how this breaks down as we look at these verses, verse by verse here today. And if you're following and keeping notes, you can write this down. In Christ, we have been given. Point one will be freedom from sin's chains. Number two will be freedom from sin's control. And number three will be freedom from sin's condemnation. We're going to see that when we see exactly what Jesus Christ did to give us this freedom this morning in these areas, if you're a believer here today, you can't help but rejoice in the fact that you have been set free through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so we look first at freedom from sin's chains. Verses 14 through 17 talk about that slavery that we were once chained to for sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace what then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace by no means don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as a slave you're slaves to the one whom you obey whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness and he says this but thanks be to god that though you used to be slaves to sin you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. What does that mean, Kirk? What does that say? It says this, Once you were confined to disobedience toward God. Once that is all you knew. You were confined to disobedience. You were confined to sin. Sin was all that you knew. You know how I know this? Because I believe that Scripture is true in the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 speaks on this issue, and he says in verse 10, as it is written. When you see as it is written, he takes you all the way back to the Old Testament so that you can see that this was documented long ago. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And it doesn't matter even if you think you are, you are not. The Word says you're not. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's a pretty harsh description of some group of people before you're too hard on them this morning, understand that is everyone who is apart from Jesus Christ. That is what I was before I was set free through the grace and the mercy that He showed me at the cross. Before the chains of sin were broken from my life, once I was confined to disobedience, it is all that I knew. In fact, to be honest with you, it was all that I craved. It was all that I desired. Why? Because your flesh desires sin. Your flesh desires the things that bring comfort and that bring pleasure to your flesh. We know this. We know that the flesh is that breeding ground of sin. And we were enslaved to that. We were held captive by our own sin nature. We were those people. there are defined in Romans chapter 3. None who were found righteous. None who did good. Not even one. And he goes on and he gives a pretty explicit description of those people. And he defines what I was prior to Christ to a T. Because I was all of those things. Evil and wicked and wretched and sinful. Once I was confined to disobedience. But we have grounds this morning to celebrate. Grounds this morning to celebrate. Sin had us enslaved. How do we know this? Because Jesus testifies to that. We were enslaved by sin. He's in a conversation in John chapter 8 and in this conversation he's talking to the religious people of the day. These were religious people who who were doing, in quotes, good things. They looked good on the outside. They knew all the words to say. They knew how to play the game. And Jesus says this to them in verse 34 of John chapter 8. He tells them that they're slaves to sin and it upsets them. And then he says, well, I'll let you know this even a little more clearly. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So so I'm not a real smart guy, so let's do this poll. How many of you here have ever been a slave to sin? Keep them up. Get them up. It puts us all in the same category, just as Paul did in Romans chapter 3. He said, we're all sinners. There's none righteous. No, not one. That we are all enslaved because of sin. Freedom from sin's chains does not come by our own efforts. Our efforts caused us to continue in our enslavement. So we see once confined to disobedience toward God, that's what we all once were. Once defined as a sinner, I was confined to sin, therefore I was defined as a sinner How was I defined as a sinner? How did I know what sin was? The same way that Paul understood what sin was in Romans chapter 7, he tells us for all of you people who think that there's no place for the Old Testament law, here's the place. Paul says this in Romans chapter 7 about being defined as a sinner. He says this, verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. Paul said, where the the law came forth, then I understood by reading the law, the commands of God, what sin really is. Now, when I understood what sin really is, then I understood this. I'm a transgressor. I am a sinner. He goes on, he said, but sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. He said, when I saw the command, I knew that I was a sinner. And because I was a sinner and I came to that recognition, I realized that I am spiritually dead. He goes on, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. Because here he was, a religious person, thinking that if I just do this, 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 and this, it's going to bring me life. And he said, no, and in fact, what it did, it showed me that I am a sinner, and it really brought forth the fact that I am dead apart from Christ. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. He said the law shows me how utterly sinful I really am. Y'all want to play a game? How many in, in here have ever broken one of the Ten Commandments? How many two? how many three, how many four, how many five. Oh, we could do this all day long and you could do as the Pharisees and really examine your life and say, well, well, I haven't really broken that one, I don't think. Until you get to Jesus' teaching that says if you've broken one, you've broken how many? All of them. And so we realize this, we realize that we are in bondage to our sin and that The fact that we are in bondage to our sin defines us as what we really are apart from Jesus Christ, sinners. And it is God's law that shows us that we are sinners. That's for all the people who say, I don't think that you should preach from the Old Testament because there's a new covenant. Yeah, and that Old Covenant points to the New Covenant because we find redemption in the New Covenant. And the Old Covenant defines for us what sinners are who need redemption. And so when we see that we need redemption and that stream that comes out of the Old Covenant trickles into the lake of God's grace and mercy in Jesus Christ, we realize this, that He's the only one who can forgive us of our sin. So we see we were once defined as sinners by God's law. We were transgressors because God's law said we were transgressors. People ask me all the time, do you really believe you're a sinner? Yes, why? You're not that bad. Oh, God would say on the contrary. And He does. His word declares that Kirk Hall is a scoundrel in and of himself, that I have nothing good to offer a holy God. I know that's not the, the, the cool way to think about it in, in modern theology. Everybody wants to be something or to be important. But we, it is when we recognize that we are nothing. And we are enslaved by sin. That death is abiding upon us and the wrath of God abides upon us. It is then and only then that we truly cry out for mercy in Jesus Christ because He's the only one who can give the mercy that we need. And so we see we were once defined as sinners by God's law. Transgressors and traitors. Traitors that I sold my Creator out for the things of my flesh. I'll tell you this, I've done it more often than I want to admit. And so have each of you, if you would get honest with yourself this very day. And so we see because of that, I was once defined, you as believers here were once defined as sinners according to God's law. So we see we were once confined to disobedience. We couldn't help it. Sin was all that we knew. It was our flesh. Sin had enslaved us. We discovered that we are sinners when the law comes forth and the law says that you have broken God's standard. The standard is complete perfection. And you have missed the mark. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because we have come short of the glory of God, now we are defined as sinners. I know modern theology again says, don't tell the people at your church they're sinners. They'll get offended and not come back. My prayer is this. My prayer is that you not get offended this morning. My prayer is this, and not come back. My prayer is that you get saved this morning so that you no longer have to be recognized as a sinner because we go to the next thing in freedom from our chains. We see that those who were once confined to disobedience toward God, those who were once defined by their disobedience to God as sinners according to God's law, now they are refined and set free from sin through Jesus Christ. He uses this term here, and if you missed it, I'm going to reiterate it. He said, used to be. That's what you were. He said you used to be enslaved by your sin. We saw that as we read there in verse 14 all the way through 17. But in 17, he says this. He says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin." you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. Oh, I'm so thankful this morning that he refers to the fact that I was confined by my sin and I was defined as a sinner according to God's law as past tense because I am being and have been refined and set free from sin through Jesus Christ. John chapter 8, In John's gospel, the Lord says it like this He said, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That means this it is accomplished, it is finished. Now, I'll say this to all of you if you're trying to set yourself free by doing the right thing, by living the letter of the law, by trying to apply the things you learn in church, you will not be set free by your own efforts. It is when the Son sets you free that you are free. Indeed. And so we see because the Son has set us free, we have freedom from sin's chains. We are now refined and set free by the Son. It is what we used to be. It is according to God's grace. We are set free by God's grace. He says right there in 17, thanks be to God. I love that the Apostle Paul gives credit where credit's due. Oh, he knows what it's like to try to get to God somehow by your religious effort. He had done it and missed the mark over and over and over again. But he comes to this conclusion here in Romans chapter 6, verse 17. He said, thanks be to God. He understood that it was all grace. Thanks be to God. He was no longer under the curse of the law. He was no longer under the curse of sin and death. He was now free only by the grace of God. And it is the grace of God that will set some of you free today to believe and to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, breaking the chains of sin in your life. It is the reason today that Christians who are here will celebrate the grace of God that has brought us freedom from the chains of sin. This grace was brought through faith. How do I know this? Well, we just read the scriptures and they tell the whole story. Don't they? Thanks be to God. What does he say? Verse 17, follow along. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You know what they were entrusted with? They were entrusted with the glorious gospel. That man can receive from God a righteousness that is greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees. In fact, it is a righteousness that comes from God as Paul defined it in the first chapter of Romans. And that that righteousness comes by faith in Christ alone and that is the only way that a man or a woman is justified before a holy God. It is wholehearted belief. I love that he uses the word wholeheartedly believe. Because many people have settled for a half-hearted belief. A half-hearted belief. Part of your heart still tries to hold on to the things of the world. While the other half of your heart wants the things of God. Really, you only want the benefits of God. You really don't want God. Because if you wanted God, you would have to release the other half of your heart. Because he said it was whole-hearted belief. The prophet in the Old Testament said it like this, that if you seek me with your whole heart, there you will find me. The problem is we just discovered something in the first part of this text. We discovered that our heart is wicked. That our heart does not seek after God. And so we never really have half of our heart that seeks after Him. Half of our heart is is still just deceived in the fact that it might be seeking after Him. Our whole heart is still corrupt until... We see what the prophet Ezekiel prophesied. He prophesied that the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, would do something. And he would replace hearts of stone, those hard, sinful hearts, he would replace those hearts of stone with an entirely new heart, a heart of flesh. It's no different than what David prayed in Psalm 51. We looked at it a few weeks ago. Create in me a what? Pure heart. Why? Because he knew that his original heart was not pure. It was what? Sinful He needed a new heart. He needed a pure heart. I am thankful today that that God doesn't give us a spiritual stint so that our old wretched heart can go on working okay. He gives us a transplant. Do you understand what I'm talking about? He removes that heart of stone, that wicked, sinful, deceived heart, and He replaces it with a heart of flesh. And now, we can wholeheartedly, only because of His work at regeneration, we can wholeheartedly believe and trust in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we are set free from the chains of sin. Through wholehearted faith. Wholehearted faith brings justification. Not through the law. Why? Because no one will be justified through the law. But it brings justification through the grace of God, through faith in Christ, in Christ alone. So we see we as believers here today have freedom from sin's chains. Number two, we as believers who are in Christ have freedom from sin's control. Freedom from sin's chains, and then we see freedom from sin's control. Verse 18 says this, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I want you to look at that. Paul is writing to the church and he's speaking in past tense. You think none of these people were struggling with sin? I would tell you this, if they had flesh still existing, and they did, they were struggling with sin. But he's reminding them that something has taken place, that in the past tense, they have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. He's not saying this is something that you have to do. He's saying this is something that has been done. And we as believers have to understand those things that have been done. We must die to our flesh that we may walk in the Spirit into the things that have been done for us in Christ. That's what he's instructing them to do here in verse 18. He says, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And he says in 19, I put this in human terms because you're weak. He must have been thinking he was writing to me in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body to slavery, to impurity, and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. What is he saying? He's saying, you have been freed from sin's control. It is done. It is accomplished. It is finished. We just sang about it a moment ago. It is finished. It is done. If the sun sets you free, you're free. What? Indeed. You've been freed as believers from sin's control. We should rejoice in that today. Remember when sin controlled your every thought, your every desire, your every goal, your every dream, your every aspiration was controlled by your sin. Now he says you've been set free from sin's control. Freed from sin. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman. Born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. The Spirit who calls out Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Listen to your position and see that your position has changed in Christ. I've said it time and time again. I will say it again. You cannot be in the world and in In Christ. It doesn't work like that. That's like being in New Caney while you're in Porter. It cannot happen. It cannot happen. You are either in the world and in sin and cut off and alienated from God or you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, Paul is telling them this, you are no longer a slave of sin. You have a new master. I pray today that some Christians would understand that. That they would grow in their faith this morning in that element of truth. That you have a new master. That there is righteousness that has been imputed to you and that the Spirit desires to impart that same righteousness as you live this Christian life, resulting in, as we've already read in this text, holiness. We'll talk about the importance of that in a moment. We've been freed from sin. No longer a slave to sin. We have a new master. Those of you who are in Christ, I, I know what some people do in this moment. They process this intellectually and they say, well, my life doesn't look like I have a new master. Well, you better really check. You better really work out your own salvation with fear and trembling like Scripture says. Uh, don't, don't buy into a bill of goods that if somebody tells you you're saved, you're saved. You'll know whether you're saved or not by who your master is. Who is mastering your life? So the, Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul here is wanting us to understand. That if we're in Christ, there is a new master, no longer a slave to sin. We're freed from sin, but then he says this. He said we're not just freed from sin; we're freed to something. And it's kind of ironic what we're freed to. Watch what he says here: You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. He says you've been set free to be made slaves. You've been set free from sin to be slaves. To righteousness. I, many people say, well, I, th- I think that's a bad translation. I don't know that that's slave. I don't know that I like that word. Let me just tell you what that word translates out. In fact, the NIV does a great job. Many texts, many translations say servant or bondservant. It's slave. It's the word doulos in the Greek, and it means slave. Here's the awesome thing about that you, at one point in time when you were cut off from God, could not do anything for God's glory, you could not serve Him with a pure heart. You could not bring Him praise and honor as He's desired for you to be. You could not be a holy people for His name's sake. You couldn't do that. But in Christ, we're freed from sin and we are freed so that we can slave unto Christ and unto the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Watch this. I get to I get to obey God's commands. I get to obey His Word. I get to proclaim His Gospel. I get to do all of these things. Why? Because my Heavenly Father has redeemed me through the precious blood sacrifice of Christ to bring glory to His name that I could not do when I was still in my sin, when I was still wrapped up in my old self, and my old deceit. But in Christ, I have been set free from sin's control. Freed from sin so that I will now be free to slave. For God. Shouldn't that be our heart as believers? Master, what do you require of us? Master, where should I go? Master, what should I do? You are in control. I am no longer in control. When I was in control, all I did was sin. But thanks be to God that in Christ, I have a new master. I'm freed from sin and I'm free slave for righteousness. Freed from sin, freed to slave. And then we see this, freed to be sanctified. Freedom from sin's control. Free to be sanctified. Look what he says there in the last part there in verse 20. He goes on and he says this. He says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Well, that means now that I'm not a slave of sin, righteousness is going to control me. And watch how righteousness controlled me. What benefit? What benefit did you receive? Oh, what benefit did you reap at that time of those things which you are now ashamed of? It controls me, and we're going to get back to that in a second, but it controls me away from the sin that I am now ashamed of, the things that I used to do. I am freed to be sanctified as a son of God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Please understand, this is God's original design. Did, did you know he, he did say this and he then reiterated it? And I reiterated over and over again. He said, Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Can I say this to each of you? None of you can be holy when you're enslaved to sin. You can only be unholy. But because you have been enslaved now to righteousness for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. You are freed to live a life of holiness bringing God glory. Controlled by righteousness. How does that happen? The indwelling Holy Spirit controls us. How many of you are thankful for the indwelling Holy Spirit that you received from God Himself? It is a promise from Jesus. It is a promise to every believer that the Holy Spirit, He will come and He will dwell in all who truly trust in Jesus Christ. And He will lead them into righteousness. It is the duty of the indwelling Holy Spirit. There is nothing inside of you internally driving you to live out the righteousness that has been imputed to you in Christ. Meaning this, if there's nothing internally imparting righteousness to you, because I believe this 100%, that imputed righteousness is taken care of in heaven. Imparted righteousness is done by the Holy Spirit here on this earth. He is imparting righteousness unto you that Jesus Christ paid for you to have. therefore, Your standing in heaven is righteous and your state on earth is being made righteous through the power of the Holy Spirit. That righteousness, we know this, leads to holiness. Why is that so important that His righteousness moves us toward holiness? I'll tell you why it's important. Because holiness is what distinguishes the children of God from the children of sin. Did did you catch that? I know it's foreign in American Christianity. Because when we see holiness, we say, oh, that person thinks they're better than I am. Oh, that person's one of them holy rollers. Oh, he's one of them Christian. And what we do is when we see holiness, because no one one has preached this in so long, we speak of holiness as if it is a bad thing. Can I tell you this? It is the thing that separates the children of God, the kingdom of God, from the children of sin and the kingdom of darkness. You don't believe me? Let's just see what the Word of God has to say about it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people. He's speaking to the believers. I'm thankful that we are a chosen people. Why? Because I was dead in my sin, choosing only things that were futile to my soul. And in the midst of that, God chose me out of that, out of darkness and into light. He says you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people belonging to God. Why? That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. What is the difference between darkness and light? It is holiness. Do you hear me? He is raising up His true remnant, His true people. He is raising them up through the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that they may be Holy. Stop thinking that practical holiness is not something that we are to live in the Christian church. It is something that if we are truly born again, we will live through the righteous empowerment of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. The Holy Spirit will not settle for anything less, are you listening, than holy. And so if you can continue in your worldly desires, in your worldly lust, in your worldly sin without any conviction, I'm going to be bold enough to tell you this as others will continue to lie to you the Holy Spirit does not live inside of you if you're absent from that conviction that conviction will accompany the Holy Spirit if he truly lives inside of you because he's moving you toward holiness why because the word commands be holy for the Lord your God is holy he will accept nothing less he is raising up a holy nation a royal priesthood a chosen people to bring him glory who will declare his praises for the One who called them out of darkness into His wonderful life. You see, we have in Christ freedom from sin's control. We are freed from sin, freed to slave, and freed to be sanctified. We are being set apart. And as I've said, the thing that sets us apart from what we used to be is holiness. Don't forget that. If you're wondering if you're different You should ask yourself this question. Is my life displaying the holiness of God? Is my life displaying the holiness of God? Or is my life still a display of my despicable enslavement to sin? You have to analyze your own lives. I'm not going to tell you what I see in your life. You have to examine it for yourself. To test yourself to see if you are truly of the faith. Have you wholeheartedly believed the point where now God is doing a work in you and He is taking you from a point of darkness into His glorious light. Are you seeing holiness come to fruition in your life? If you were a child of God, I assure you of this, the Holy Spirit will be working to make sure that you are being made holy. So we see the freedom from sin's control, the freedom from sin's chains, and then we see lastly in verses 21-23, through 23, we see freedom from sin's condemnation. Freedom from sin's condemnation. What good news this is for those of us who are in Christ. He says there in 21, what benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? I'll tell you this, nothing. I wish I could have all of those stupid, sleepless, ignorant nights back. How about you? Where you did those stupid things of the flesh. He says those things you're now ashamed of, those things result in death. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to, we've just talked about this, holiness, and the result is eternal life. I know what a lot of people like to do. They say, well, okay, so if a person lives a holy life, God will grant to them eternal life based on what that said. Yes. And it is impossible for you to live a holy life apart from the justification that comes by wholehearted faith in Jesus Christ. He's not promoting works salvation here. What he is promoting here is salvation that results in holiness. That is true biblical salvation. Do not be deceived into all the liars who are telling you otherwise. True biblical salvation will move you toward godliness in Christ Jesus. It is by God's design. It says in verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus Christ. Our Lord, we see freedom from sin's condemnation. Did you know this? We were all born condemned already. That's for the person who's here today who might say, well, I don't feel any condemnation. Let me just say this. Whether you feel it or whether you don't, if you're not in Christ, you're condemned already. Why? Because Christ said so. John chapter 3. That you are condemned already. Colossians tells us this in chapter 1. For those of us who are in Christ, He gives us great hope. Verse 13. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. I love that Christ in rescuing us rescued us from the shame of our sin. He said the things that you are now ashamed of. Remember when you were doing those things and you weren't ashamed of them at all? In fact, you were kind of proud of them. You had brag to your friends about them. Uh, I I remember friends of mine who would do not-so-smart things on a Friday night to which they could not wake up until later on in the day on Saturday with a headache or with a stomachache. And then they would brag about it. Oh, what a great time we had last night. Well, tell me about it. Uh, I don't remember. I was so messed up. I don't remember. All I know is I woke up this morning and I had vomit all over me. And that's all I know. But it was a great time. Hmm. Sounds as if it was. Hate that I missed it. But then what happens is when Christ rescues us, doesn't He change that? We look back on those things and we're ashamed of those things. But He has rescued us from the shame of our sin. Your shameful sins are forgiven in Christ. That means this, they're washed away. They're clean. They're gone. They've been removed. Your shameful lusts, your shameful desires, your shameful thoughts, your shameful actions, they have all been placed in the past where Christ has placed them. Many of you believe you still struggle with things you did 20 years ago. Stop. 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 The reason that you struggle with those things is you really don't understand what Scripture is teaching you even right now. You have been set free from those things. You have been rescued from the shame of your sin. That's what Paul is saying here. Those things that you look back on and you're ashamed of those things, what benefit were they anyways? They were of no benefit. But I am thankful today that the things that I am ashamed of, I don't have to carry the shame around from those things any longer because Christ bore that shame for me on the cross. My shameful sins have been placed in the past. Though they're awful and though they're ugly and though I never want to talk about them or think about them again, all I want to do is glory in the cross of Jesus Christ that has removed my past sins. Those things you were once ashamed of, they they didn't do you any good. You've been rescued from the shame of those sins, those things. Number two, freedom from sin's condemnation is not only rescue from sin's shame, it's rescue from the sureness of death. Sureness of death, I remind you of this all the time, it is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment, there there is a sure death that is coming upon your flesh, I assure you. However, for the believer, you have been freed from death. What do you mean? Romans 6.23, we just read it a moment ago when we read through this text. We read in 6.23, what? The wages of sin is death. We all owe it. But God in His grace has given us a gift. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of the gracious gift of Jesus Christ, we can be assured today that the sureness of death, though we will face bodily death, we will receive and have received eternal life with God because of the promise of Jesus Christ and because of the act that He fulfilled by dying in our place on the cross. We are rescued from the sureness of death. You've been set free from the penalty of death. We ought to rejoice in that this morning. Oh, we're going to rejoice because we live in a free nation and we get to vote on our leaders. Maybe those votes count. Maybe those votes don't. We don't really know anymore. But I can't assuredly rejoice in the fact that, that, that I was in a crash course destiny with death and judgment. And Jesus Christ died death for me on a cross to rescue me from the sureness of my own death. And He's granted to me eternal life in Himself. John chapter 5, Jesus says this in verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has. Not will have, might have, could have, possibly have, has eternal life. You say, but Kirk Eternity hasn't even started yet. How do you have eternal life already? I know, isn't it amazing? It is a guarantee that He has given me in Christ. He died my death, therefore I live His life. It is His resurrection that gives me life eternal. I have eternal life, and watch what it says. And will not be condemned. It doesn't say might not be condemned if He he messes it up, or if He blows it, He he might not be condemned. It says I will not be condemned. Why? Why? I've crossed over from death to life. Why have I crossed over from death to life? Because of faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. I've been rescued from the shame of sin. I've been rescued from the sureness of death. And I've been rescued only by the sacrifice of Christ. Romans 3, verse 23 of chapter 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. So that none of you think that I'm that preacher guy standing up on a pulpit above everyone else. Let me say this. I'll read it like this so that you can understand how much I believe this. For Kirk Hall has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'll put myself there with you. I'm not afraid to say that because I realize that I am a sinner and my only hope is Christ. But I'm going to read the rest of the verse like that as well. And Kirk Hall is justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance, He had left Kirk Hall's sin unpunished, unthankful. In His forbearance, He was patient with me. Oh, here this morning, under the sound of my voice, hear this, be thankful that He has been patient in His forbearance with you. If you are an unbeliever here this morning, please understand this. He has been patient with you up until this point, this morning, that He draws you out of darkness and into light so that you can be forgiven of all of your sins. So you can be set free. He says He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. I'm so thankful. So thankful that God had a sovereign plan that was bigger than our sin. That in His forbearance and in His patience, He left the sin. Are you listening? He left the sin of every man Woman, boy, and girl. He left those sins from the time that Ham, Shem, Japheth, Noah, and their families stepped off the ark. He left those sins unpunished so that He could point us to redemption in Christ Jesus. All along the way, giving us signs, giving us road marks to see Jesus. He gave us the law to show us that we are sinners and in need of Jesus. He gave covenants to others along the way to show us that His promises are true and His promises stand even to this day. He gave David a covenant and said that your throne will never be wiped away from the earth and it is Christ who will set upon that throne the King of kings and Redeemer of sinful man. I am thankful today that He has been patient with us. Such a time as this, so that some of you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would be called out of darkness and into light by His grace through the redeeming sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We see we have freedom from sin's condemnation only because Jesus rescued us from the shame of sin, Jesus rescued us from the sureness of death, and Jesus rescued us by His glorious sacrifice, a sacrifice that was a gracious sacrifice. It was a sacrifice that brought redemption. It is His blood. His plan of redemption that all of the prophets pointed for. It is His blood that will save even the most wicked sinner in this crowd this morning. It is His blood who saved the one who was the worst. Kirk Hall. It is the Son and His sacrifice that shall set you free. And if He sets you free, the Word says you are free indeed. We can raise the red, white, and blue. We can bake the apple pies, slice the watermelon. Ignite the fireworks. All of those things that many of you are going to do today, and I say this, don't feel bad about doing those things. We have a great country that God has graced us with. But don't forget that there is a greater freedom. A greater freedom. And it's not a temporal freedom. It is an eternal freedom. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. I would say this to each of you today. To the Christian, I would say this. Rejoice in the freedom that you have in Christ. Rejoice in the freedom that you have in Christ. Shout it from the rooftop. The freedom that you have in Christ. The, the freedom from sin's chains. The freedom from sin's control. The freedom from sin's condemnation. Shout it from the rooftops so that others may see your freedom. So that others will be drawn to the Gospel of Jesus Christ through your message that you preach with your life and with your lips. Rejoice. To the unbeliever, I say this to you today with urgency. You've not been set free cannot celebrate with us if you've not been set free sin still has you chained. if you've not been set free sin is still controlling you that's why that's why you can't figure it out oh you know basic human right from wrong but you can't figure out why you have no power inside of you to do right because the power of the holy spirit does not live inside of you to draw you and to bend you toward holiness You don't have freedom from sin's condemnation. The wages of sin is death. And for the unbeliever, can I say this to you? That's where that verse stops. Not just death in this lifetime. The Bible talks about a second death. It talks about an eternal death where you are separated from the goodness of God, from the love of God. And you are judged for your sin and you are separated from Him in hell for all eternity Where you would die over and over and over again. Revelation says this is the second death. And those whose names were not found written in the Lamb's book of life. Thrown into that lake of fire which is known as the second death. I would ask you today, unbeliever, to trust Jesus as the only one who can break the chains of sin in your life today to trust Jesus by faith as the only one wholeheartedly believing and trusting in him as the only one who can break the control that sin has on you to trust Jesus today as your lord and master and the only one who died to free you from the condemnation of sin in fact what he did for you is that he bore your condemnation on his own back he was condemned to death so that all of you who believe will be given eternal life I would say to the unbeliever trust in Jesus today be pardoned be freed from your sin oh if you were on death row this morning you received a call from the President of the United States he said hello this is the President of the United States I'm calling to give give you a pardon. This was a crime that you committed. You committed some heinous murder. And you know that you did it. You would probably respond to the president, oh no sir, I don't need pardon because I don't deserve pardon because I actually committed the crime. And the president would say to you, but, but, but son, listen. I'm going to pardon your sin. He said, Mr. President, I'm not going to allow you to pardon that sin. I must pay for my sin. the President of the United States said that. I'm in Air Force One. I'm headed your way. I'm going to declare that you are now the President of the United States. I'm going to take your place on death row. And I am going to die your death for you. Because that sin must be accounted for. What would you say in that instant? What would you do? No, I know that is an illustration that falls way short of what God did for us. And the fact that we could not come to Him, we could not ever gain righteousness on our own. In fact, we were we're totally enslaved and impitted by our sin. But Christ has pardon, his sin. All who will believe. But you say, someone must pay for it. Oh, but He did. I told you the greatest freedom that ever took place took place in 33 A.D., not 1776 A.D. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, oh, much more than the President of the United States. The King of kings and Lord of lords came to this earth where He lived and where He died a brutal death. And I can't, Help but think about when he died that brutal death. That was the death that Kirk Hall owed. I was the one who deserved the nail. The nails in my hands, the nails in my feet. I was the one who deserved the crown of thorns. I was the one who deserved the lashes from those Roman soldiers. But yet, in his grace and in his mercy, Christ paid my pardon. And because I am in Christ, the Son has set me free. And the Son has set me free indeed. You're here this morning. I pray this. I pray that the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would set you free so that you can leave here celebrating the greatest freedom that has ever been given freedom that Christ has given us in Himself through His sacrifice that He made on an old rugged cross outside of Jerusalem on the behalf of wretched sinners just like Kirk Hall.